Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. So if there is one Catholic church, why are there different rights within it? And which one is right? By the end of this episode, you'll have a better understanding of the six different rights within the Catholic Church. All are totally Catholic and all are in union with the Pope, but the liturgies are different. Find out more in this episode. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we've titled this episode, Which Right is Right? <laughs> I, th- I think <laughs> we could even we can go deeper, like we'd like to write about which right oh, no, is right. If maybe rights. we could do an article about this, you know. And English is so hard. Yeah. You know, those who come with other languages, you can imagine, like say someone comes who has another native language and we say the word right. Uh-huh. It could be three things. Yeah. It could be W-R-I-T-E. Uh-huh. It could be R-I-G-H-T or it could be R-I-T-E. Uh-huh. And it sounds the same. Right. <laughs> three different meanings, three different spellings. Yeah. It's, so which right are we going to talk about today? Well, I thought we could break down, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, different R-I-T-E-S. Yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Exactly. Yeah. R-I-T-E. So wh- where does that word come from? What is, Ritual. What is it? it's, okay. it's a ritus in Latin. It's kind of liturgical. It basically is the liturgical ritual. Okay. And I would say most Catholics might not even be aware of these different rites in the church. You just like, I go to my parish on Sunday, and if I go to a different parish, it's pretty similar, you know, and might not realize that there are different rites in the church, R-I-T-E. What rite do you belong to? I believe it'd be Roman Catholic. Roman rite? Yep. Or Or Latin rite? It's also called the Latin rite. Okay. Yep. That's the great majority of Catholics uh-huh. are Latin right. And well, I mean, maybe we get in this later. Like, would that be all of our diocesan parishes? Yes, because we are a Latin right diocese. Okay. Yep. We are a Latin right diocese. Okay. I've got like a thousand questions that are popping R-I-T-E. up. Because of this. So if the Catholic Church is universal and we have all of these different rights, how does that play out into the kind of one holy apostolic church that there are these different, I guess, maybe back up a second. What's the difference between a right and a church? Is that? Okay. No, that's a very important first question. Let me just begin by saying, first of all, we are Catholics. It is the Catholic church. The Catholic church had, which is universal. Okay. It's Catholic. It's universal. There are, autonomous churches within the one Catholic church. Okay. There is, for example, the Latin church. Uh There are also 23 Eastern Catholic churches. Okay. So when you talk about the church, for example, you could say someone can be a member of the Ukrainian Catholic church. They can be a, a member of the Coptic Catholic and Church. So the Ukrainian Catholic Church, that's not just being a Latin church that's in Ukraine. No, no, it's, it's not Latin. It's its own thing. Right. And it could be anywhere. Right, <laughs> okay. right. 
So the Ukrainian Catholic Church is totally Catholic, as all of the 23 Eastern Catholic churches are totally Catholic. They have bishops, priests, deacons. They have the seven sacraments. They are fully Catholic. They are united. They are in communion with the Pope. They're in okay. communion with the Bishop of Rome. They are Catholic. And that's really important because there were, you know, a long time, like the last century and that Latin Catholics like us sometimes would look at them and not think they're fully Catholic, okay? Because right, their right. liturgy is different and all this, their priests can get married. So they're thinking, mm -hmm. they thought of them more as Protestants. Uh -huh. They are not Protestants. They are not Orthodox. They are Catholic. So the Catholic Church has what we call 24 autonomous churches. In Latin, the word is, we speak of them as sui iuris. Okay. Sui iuris in Latin means of its own law, of its own law. So each of these 24 churches within the Catholic Church are self-governing. They are led either by a patriarch or a major archbishop. And the patriarchs and archbishops of the Eastern Catholic churches are in union with the Pope. So it's really important for us to understand this. A lot of times you'll see in the, in the media, they refer to the Catholic church as the Roman Catholic church. Uh -huh. That's not exactly correct. I mean, we're the Catholic church okay. that has Roman Catholics, Ukrainian Catholics, you know, Byzantine Catholics, et cetera. Uh -huh. So language can be, you know, a little bit confusing. But each of these 24 churches are fully Catholic. So that if you went to church at a Byzantine Catholic church, I mean, you're allowed to, that fulfills your Sunday obligation. It's a Catholic church. You can receive Holy Communion okay. in a Byzantine Catholic church or any of the 23 Eastern Catholic churches. The liturgy is quite different. We can talk about that maybe mm -hmm. as we go on. So these Eastern Catholic churches have a hierarchy. They have, as I said, either a major archbishop. They have their own dioceses called eparchies usually. Okay. For the Eastern churches, they use the term eparchy or archeparchy, and we speak of a diocese or an archdiocese. Would their boundaries be different? Oh, yeah, their boundaries okay. are different. And so we overlap. Mm -hmm. For example, Ukrainian Catholic Archdiocese in, based in Chicago mm -hmm. encompasses several states, okay. including our diocese. So Ukrainian Catholics in our territory, mm -hmm. let's say in Fort Wayne or South Bend, I'm not their proper bishop. Okay. Their proper bishop is the Ukrainian Catholic Archeparch of Chicago. Does that get confusing for things? If you change well, the rules in our diocese for our priests, but it doesn't apply to right. some of these other Yeah, I don't rights. have authority over, they're fully Catholic with, you know, great relationship, but mm -hmm. they have their own laws. Okay. The other thing is, I mean, we only have one 
parish in our diocese, a Ukrainian Catholic parish in, it's a small parish in Mishawaka. Mm -hmm. And they're part of the Ukrainian archeparchy. We have a community, it's not a parish, but a community here in Fort Wayne as well that celebrates their liturgy at the chapel of the University of St. Francis. And then we have... Can you explain the difference between a community and a parish? Yeah, a community isn't established formally as a parish because they don't have enough numbers. So, okay. But there's a, a priest who celebrates the, the Byzantine liturgy okay. for them. And then at Notre Dame, there is a Melkite Catholic priest who celebrates Mass on every other Sunday at Notre Dame. Okay. That's not a parish. That's the same as like in Fort Wayne. It's it's just a priest celebrating that liturgy. They're part of the diocese, Melkite diocese, that's based in Massachusetts. Hmm. That, that diocese takes up the whole United States. Okay. For, there's one diocese, eparchy, I should say, for right. all the Melkite Catholics in the United States. Is that because there are fewer of them? Right. And so yeah. the, the yeah. boundaries are bigger. And notice we've been talking about churches. Now, what do we mean by the rite, R-I-T-E? That's more the liturgical and the spiritual, theological, and disciplinary tradition. So, And I'm sorry to interrupt. And when you say churches, we're not talking about buildings. We're talking about communities of people. Communities, exactly. And a way of practicing the faith, I guess, Mm -hmm. as well. Yes. I mean, like if you take the Ukrainian Catholic Church, it has a a major archbishop and it has a lot of dioceses, a lot of eparchies around the world. Did that answer your question? Yeah. So the the church is the the people and then the right is the The tradition. So it's liturgical, spiritual, theological. They have their own law. Uh Uh-huh. So it's their patrimony. Yeah, and it's because of history, okay, and circumstances in history that you have groups of of Catholics living in a way, living their faith in a particular culture. So it developed differently Mm -hmm. than, let's say, the way the church and the liturgy developed in the West. Mm -hmm. Maybe to simplify it, think of it this way. There are really six distinct rites in the Catholic Church. Hmm. If you look at the Catholic Church, you can really divide it into six rites. So these are six traditions. And within these six traditions, these six rites, which are liturgical, spiritual, etc., mm-hmm. we have these 24 distinct autonomous churches. Okay. All 24 of these churches are in communion with the Bishop of Rome. They're all Catholic, and they basically fall within these six rites. So when you look at it, of course, the rite we're most familiar with is the Latin rite. Sometimes we call it the Roman rite, Mm -hmm. the Roman Catholic Church or the Latin Catholic Church. That's the great majority Mm -hmm. of Catholics belong, about 1.3 billion or something, I Mm -hmm. think at this point, are Latin Catholics, okay? Roman Catholics. You could say, well, who's our major archbishop? Who's our patriarch? Well, notice one of the titles of the Pope is Patriarch of the West. Huh. That's okay. one of his titles. 
But these other patriarchs and these other archbishops that are Catholic are in communion with him because he's the successor of St. Peter, the leader of the apostles. That's the largest by far, the largest right by far. So in the Latin church, we have our own code of canon law. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, our canon law, the Eastern churches have a different, Eastern Catholic churches have a different code of canon law. I would assume a lot of it is pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, in their canon law, a married man can be ordained a priest. Mm Mm-hmm. For most of the Eastern Catholic churches, there's some exceptions. I'll, yeah. Okay. So it gets a little, yeah, when you break it down, you'll see some differences. The second major rite, again, remember, rite is the liturgical, theological, spiritual, disciplinary patrimony. Okay. Okay. So the next one is called the Alexandrian rite. Alexandria, which is a city on the Mediterranean coast in Egypt, was one of the earliest Christian communities, one of the earliest churches. It's generally St. Mark, the evangelist, is considered the founder. And we can actually, depending on if you think this is interesting, we can talk more about each of the rites. But within the Alexandrian rite, there are three churches, okay? Okay. three Catholic churches within the Alexandrian rite. And... I'm familiar with them. I've had experience with two of the three. There's the Coptic Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. There's the Eritrean Catholic Church. And there's the Ethiopian Catholic Church. When I was on the CRS trip to Ethiopia, I met with the Ethiopian Catholic bishops and attended the liturgy. Very, very interesting. The Coptic Catholic Church is basically in Egypt. But it has spread as well because, you know, people, you know, when they move around the world, so we have Coptic Catholics, for example, in the United States. Okay. And who's their bishop? Well, we can get into some more details. I mean, if you're interested in any of these particular churches, you know, I can tell you more about them. The Eritrean Catholic Church, I don't don't have any experience with. Obviously, some of these names, you know, Eritrea is a country, so it's next to Ethiopia. So there's a geographical part of this, of where these churches began. And notice all three of these, Coptic, Eritrean, and Ethiopian, are all African, all part of that part of Africa. That's the Alexandrian rite, again, going back to St. Mark. Uh The third is the West Syrian rite more commonly spoken of as the Antiochene rite. Okay. So you think of the city of Antioch. And uh, okay. who was the first bishop of Antioch? Do you know? Uh, no. St. Peter. Okay. Before he went to Rome, he preached the gospel in Antioch. So this is another one of those ancient churches. So when you look at the beginnings of the church, These are the most ancient churches, Alexandria in Egypt and Antioch in Syria. The Antiochian, Antiochian rite is also called the West Syrian rite. West Syrian, because another one's going to be the East Syrian, which I'll talk about. But the West Syrian rite is the Antiochian rite. Traditionally, this is considered 
the oldest church patriarchy in the world because it's even older than Rome. Yeah. Because St. Peter established a church in Antioch before he went to Rome. He was the first bishop of Antioch. So in that area of Antioch, a very rich tradition developed, a rich liturgy, spirituality. So within the Antiochian rite, there are also three churches. Just like I mentioned, there are three churches, three of these 24 Eastern churches in the Alexandrian rite. There are three in the Antiochian rite. Mm -hmm. The Maronite Catholic Church, the Syriac Catholic Church, and the Syro-Malankara Catholic Church. Hmm. I'm mostly familiar with the Maronite Catholic Church. As a matter of fact, I have a classmate from Rome, a seminary classmate who became a Maronite priest, and he's now a Maronite bishop in the United States. So I could talk a lot about the Maronites from my knowledge. I know less about the Syriac and the Syro-Malankara Catholic Church, but if you'd like to know more, in some episodes or some episode we could talk about, because I think the history is fascinating, to be Uh honest. The fourth rite is the Armenian rite. Okay, the Armenian rite is obviously began in Armenia, and it, it has just one church, the Armenian Catholic Church. So the other rites have more than one church. But the the Armenian Catholic Church has also a very rich history. We know, for example, that it has a very rich history. It's all over the world today. By the way, the Latin Catholic Church, also the Latin Rite has only one church, by the way, the Roman Catholic Church. I should have said that. But the Armenian Catholic Church really goes back to very, very early centuries of the church. It's headed by a patriarch. By the way, these patriarchs are elected by their synods, and then they extend communion to the pope, and the pope receives their communion before they take office. So anyhow, we can, if you want, we can talk more about the the liturgy of the Armenians. Basically, I think it would have begun in around the fourth century. We had that terrible genocide of the Armenians in the early 20th century, so we can talk more about Mm. that. But next would be the Chaldean Rite, which is also called the East Syrian Rite. Okay, the West Syrian Rite, as I mentioned, has the Maronites and the Syriacs, Syriac Catholic, and the Syro-Malankara Catholic Church. The Chaldean or East Syrian Rite has two churches— the Chaldean Catholic Church, and the Syro-Malabar Catholic Church. Syro-Malabar Catholic Church has its roots in India. They consider their founder to be St. Thomas the Apostle. He's very much venerated in that church. Matter of fact, these Syro-Malabar Catholics call themselves St. Thomas Christians because, according to tradition, St. Thomas the Apostle went there in the year 52 AD, modern-day India, the city of Kerala. And that's still, you know, a very Catholic area. The Chaldean Catholic Church is basically in what is today Iraq, is where 
was founded. The patriarch is called Patriarch of Babylon of the Chaldeans. Hmm. The next is the largest of the Eastern Catholic churches, the Byzantine or the Byzantine Rite. It's sometimes called the Constantinopolitan Rite because it was centered in, it began in Constantinople. And there are quite a few, 14 Catholic churches that are of the Byzantine Rite. We were talking about the Ukrainian Catholic Church. By the way, it's also called the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. That's one of the churches in this Byzantine Rite. But there are others. I mentioned the Melkite Greek Catholic Church because we have the Melkite Liturgy at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. That's one of the Byzantine Rites. Okay. And then the one I'm most familiar with is the Ruthenian Catholic Church. Hmm. It's also known as the Byzantine Catholic Church in the United States because we had several Byzantine Catholic churches, Ruthenian Catholic churches in Pennsylvania in the Diocese of Harrisburg. So I, I knew the priests of that. We would just call them Byzantine, but they are basically Ruthenian. So these 14 churches all have very common liturgical tradition, and they use the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, hmm. uh, one of the Eastern fathers of the church. We don't have time, but if we, if we do want to have an episode where we talk about the history, most of these Eastern Catholic churches, they were part of churches. The church was, was united, basically, until the 11th century when the East and the West broke communion. So then we had the beginnings of the Orthodox Church. For some centuries, most of these groups that we've been talking about, not all of them, but most of them, really were no longer in communion with Rome. Okay. It was only centuries later, especially 15th, 16th, 17th century, that they were restored to communion with Rome. So a lot of these have their Orthodox counterparts. So Which would be like not they're, communion. they're not in full communion. So if you go to Ukraine, the majority are Ukrainian Orthodox. So they never returned to full communion with the Catholic okay. Church. So about nine or ten percent of Ukrainians are Ukrainian Catholics. Hmm. Uh, nine or ten percent. So anyhow, I, I hope this wasn't too complicated. This was this is really good. I do want to take a quick break and then maybe just have a couple follow-up questions on these. Just a reminder, if you have any questions about this or anything else, you can text us on the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. Bishop can address your question or topic on a future episode. And we're going to continue to talk about these different rites in the Catholic Church coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. Just went through the list of the six different rites, which have many different 
subrights or, or churches, 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 churches underneath the rights. I actually, while you we were talking, I pulled up an image that was posted at churchpop.com that has a, a little flow chart for all of this, which has been helpful for me to, to follow along. Maybe I can put a link to this in the show notes so people can check that out. But a, a couple questions. I, I do think it would be great to go into a little bit more detail about the differences in the liturgies and stuff. That might have to be a future episode. But I guess just a couple questions here. At what point does a church become schismatic, that it's no longer in communion with the Catholic Church? Like you said, some of these didn't return to be in communion with the church. So now we have kind of these split, some that are and some that aren't. What What is the... Well, East and West was basically united, I mean, for a thousand years, the first millennium, okay? So, I mean, there were some break-offs. I don't want to give the idea that there were no schisms before that, but the great schism happened in the year 1054, and that's called the East-West schism. You know, there were a lot of cultural differences. These were, the really, in the East, they spoke, mainly Greek, and in the West, they spoke Latin. So there was something of a rivalry. But different times, there was this lack of understanding Mm -hmm. between the Eastern Greek-speaking Christians and the the Western Latin-speaking Christians. But really, things came to a head in the year 1054. It's called the Great Schism, the East-West Schism. And the Patriarch of Constantinople, okay, the Eastern Catholic or Eastern Patriarch, his name was Michael Cerularius, and the legate of the Pope, whose name was Humbert of Silva Candida, issued mutual excommunications. Hmm. Okay? Those excommunications were not lifted. They were not lifted until 1965, Hmm. the end of the Second Vatican Council between the Patriarch of Constantinople, and the Pope. They met and they lifted, Pope Paul VI and Patriarch Athenagoras lifted the mutual excommunications. So relationships have grown closer through the years since then. But there's still not full communion. We can talk more. There were efforts to restore communion. In the year 1434, there was a famous council in Florence, and there was a very short-lived reconciliation and reunion of the Catholic and Orthodox churches, but it really didn't last. We can talk more about that if you'd like. But then when we had some of these Eastern churches who came back to full communion with Rome, most of them are what we call today, that we've been talking about, these Eastern Catholic churches. But when you look at the Orthodox church, even though they are not in union with Rome, the various Orthodox churches are what we call sister churches. In other words, they have, they're part of apostolic succession. Uh-huh. They have valid bishops okay. and priests and, and the seven sacraments. And we hold so much in common. There's some differences because they do not recognize the primacy of the Pope. And there's some other differences too, but that's the main source of division. Okay. So, can one person belong to two different rites? No. Okay. Nope. 
can somebody not belong to any rite? And you just say, I go to whatever Catholic church and I'm not a part no. of a particular rite? Okay. No, whatever you were baptized, basically. Can, can you convert rites? You can change rites. It's okay. not easy. It's, it's a process to do so. Okay. Canonical process. Well, what would that... Well, is there I, a ceremony to be? In, no, there's not a ceremony, but a... there has to be a a formal petition, and there would have to be an exchange of letters between the two bishops, hmm. and agreement. I'd have to look in that. I've only had that not very often, but there are a few times as a bishop where I have signed off basically on a a Latin Catholic of the diocese becoming a member of one of the Eastern Catholic churches or vice versa. Okay. But when I say if you're baptized in the right, I have to be a little careful. It's not just the baptism. Really, it follows your lineage. And I can't remember if it's the Hmm. father or the mother. But yeah, I could get into, if you have some of those canonical questions, I need to research them a little bit. Yeah. And then maybe it would vary from the different rites, but you mentioned language. So we have this Latin background in, in the Latin or the Roman, right? And Greek in the others. Does that mean they were saying their masses in Greek, even if they well, were? Well, other languages, other Eastern languages too. Okay. I should, yeah, we should be clear on that. For example, Aramaic, okay. the language of Jesus. If you look at right. the Syriac Catholic Church, huh. for example, Old Slavonic, I mean, various languages in these different uh, Eastern Catholic churches. They're basically Eastern languages. And then there's also where some of their liturgies, depending on which church, they still use an old language that people don't even speak anymore, hmm. kind of like when we have Latin masses. Yeah, right. So they have the same issue of, you know, like even some disagreements where they'll have someone who says, well, we want the language in our vernacular right. at the liturgy, and others will say, no, we want the old traditional language. So we'd have to look at each of these churches to say how they handled the language issue for their liturgies. Which it seems like the Greek or Aramaic makes a little more sense as far as uh, for those that have a nostalgia or something, then it makes more sense than Latin being, I don't know, when the church started saying mass in latin but if you really wanted to be historically like go back to the source it would have been in what greek or aramaic right right. exactly greek especially greek especially so yeah we'd have to look at each of these churches and see would that be a good like a part two to this yeah you think we we could could do it in in one episode just get a a breakdown on the different churches different traditions because the way i understand it there's the language thing there's the married how communion is received. How communion? The married priesthood. The married one. priesthood. Most of them allow a married priesthood. Also, in the celebration of the Eucharist, some of them use leavened bread. Okay. Huh. Yep. And then what about chrismation and the way they receive sacraments as a child? Yes. Most will have, be confirmed as infants and also receive their first Holy Communion as infants, a drop of the precious blood. Yeah. I think this is all fascinating, and I think it's probably more than we have time for for today. But And most will use, when they distribute Holy Communion at their liturgy, they call it the divine liturgy. We usually mm-hmm. speak of it as the Mass. They will usually have intinction. So they'll have a little piece of usually leavened bread, and with a spoon, 
dip it into the precious blood in the chalice and place it in the person's mouth. The person has to hold their head back a little bit uh-huh. and open their mouth wider, and the priest will, using the spoon, put the uh, body and blood of Christ in their mouth. All right. Well, you see is... a lot of other things they, they normally have. When you walk into an Eastern Catholic church, most of them use icons mm-hmm. rather than statues. Yeah, we can talk more about okay. the liturgies. Actually, you know, we could get a Byzantine or an Eastern Catholic, Eastern Catholic priest on with me sometime. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. As a matter of fact, I'm good friends with Father Khaled, a Anatolios professor at Notre Dame. He's the um, Melkite Catholic priest. Okay. Great theologian. We should have him on as a guest, and he can tell you more about their liturgy. You make it sound very friendly. Is there contention between these rites? No, no. Yeah. I think there's. I think. I mean, we're all Catholics. Mm-hmm. I don't feel any contention. Yeah. Matter of fact, as a bishop, I can celebrate, and I have the mm-hmm. Melkite Catholic liturgy or the Byzantine Catholic liturgy, which is the Ruthenian Catholic liturgy that I was talking about. I have chanted the parts, and so I have some familiarity. Not a lot, but basic familiarity. Would a diocesan priest have those same abilities? To come celebrate, I think. Not to not to be the main celebrant, but okay. I think they're allowed. But if we con celebrate, we have yes, they would be allowed. But we have to use our own proper vestments. I cannot like wear the vestments of an Eastern Catholic church, nor could a priest. Huh. I have to use our Latin vestments. Okay. So if you come to the Chrism Mass, for example, you will see usually a couple Eastern Catholic priests. They're vested differently. Okay. They are concelebrating. They uh-huh. concelebrate the Eucharist with us in the Latin liturgy, but they do not wear Latin vestments. Okay. I feel like I've heard of priests being bi-ritual. Yes. A priest can be bi-ritual if he learns the others and has permission from both bishops to celebrate the liturgy, for example, a Latin priest celebrating Eastern Catholic liturgy and vice versa. That is allowed, especially when there's a pastoral need. Mm. You know, let's say, for example, we have a lot of Eastern Catholics, let's say in in Fort Wayne, and we don't have an, you know, let's say we have a lot of Ukrainian Catholics and we they don't have a priest. Mm-hmm. I would maybe ask one of our priests to learn okay. how to celebrate the Ukrainian Catholic liturgy. All right. Well, this has been a lot more fascinating than I was expecting and a lot more to it. That I, I didn't realize there were the this kind of nesting situation of rites and churches. So I definitely look forward to a part two, getting into the liturgy differences and what would draw somebody to these different types of, of liturgy as well. But As I said, we probably have about 1.3 billion Latin Catholics. And you might say, well, how many of the Eastern Catholics are there? And of course, you'd have to look at each particular church, all 23 of them. But but just so you know, and we're praying a lot for Ukraine, that is our biggest Eastern Catholic church, I think. There are more than, I think it's about four and a half million Ukrainian Catholics, most in Ukraine, but they've also, there's a lot of Ukrainian Catholics in Canada and also in the United States. Hmm. So if you're wondering about numbers, I mean, four and a half million, it's not a small number right, of right. Catholics. There are also a lot of Syro-Malabar Catholics in India. 
<laughs> also more than 4 million. I don't think there's as many Cyril Malabar as there are Ukrainian Catholics, but that's a significant number too, 4 million. The Maronites, which are based in Beirut, Lebanon, they have about 3.5 million Maronite Catholics. So just to give you an idea, now there's some of these Catholic churches that are quite small, which might only be a couple thousand people. As an example, there is a Albanian Greek Catholic church that has about 4,000 people. Worldwide. That's it, worldwide. Yeah. And that's partially because they were decimated, oh. you know, under communism. But we could, yeah, again, if you want in a further episode, we can talk more about some of these specific churches or okay. specific rites. All right. If the, if the listeners are interested, you'll have yeah. to do a well, poll. Well, I'm interested. <laughs> so uh, Maybe we should get Father Khaled okay. to talk about the liturgy. Also, in, we have Father David Meinsen in Fort Wayne who celebrates a Sunday divine liturgy. He's a priest of the Ukrainian Catholic eparchy of, archeparchy of Chicago. Okay. It's a smaller community, and he, he's a priest of that archeparchy. And then there's a priest, but he's not full-time, at St. Michael's Ukrainian Catholic Church in Mishawaka, that small church that I mentioned. All right. Well, yeah, that'd be fascinating to get that perspective. Well, thank you, Bishop, for another great episode of Truth and Charity. Remind people that you can find past episodes at spokestreet.com slash askbishop. And you can also, there's a form there if you want to submit a question there and share this episode and other episodes with your friends. Let them know about this show and where they can find it. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.